Okay, we are uh, not, I, we're not going to quite finish up Genesis, but I am going to do the story of Joseph today. We are traveling through the Bible. Uh, most of you know that, the, you, you all who, have been, who are visiting, you've been around us and you know what we're, what we're doing. So we're just going to dive in. We haven't met for two weeks, so this feels like it's been forever. Um, we haven't met here for two weeks. We've been at Easter last week, and then, what was the week before that? The women's retreat, yeah. So we were all out at JCF again for that. Dan talked on Jacob's life. And I encourage you to go back and listen to that because I'm skipping over Jacob. Uh, we're just going to get into Joseph today. Um, I also, I think I sent out a link, but there was a, a teaching I did three years ago, which is scary to, to, uh, to put that out there because I don't, <laughs> I, need to probably, I should probably go listen to it again. Um, but I also taught on Jacob's life. And I think the, the main points between that one and Dan's, uh, Dan's teaching were pretty similar. Uh, but you can listen to both of those. Let's, let's open to Genesis 37. So I want to do two things today. I want to talk about Jacob's story. Um, Joseph's story. Sorry. And uh, also Judah. We were talking in home group and... Um, one of the questions that always comes up about this portion of Scripture is, what is the, what up with the Judah and Tamar story? Um, it's, it, the, the placement is very weird, and there's a lot of different theories about it. Um, but we're gonna, So we're going to talk about Judah. So I think he plays a key role in this portion of Scripture, especially when you look back and you look in, in Matthew's Gospel when he's going through the lineage of Jesus. He says, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Judah and his brothers. That's who he, he pulls out. Obviously, it's the lineage of Jesus, but he, he doesn't say Joseph, which is where Genesis takes us. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Looking back, Matthew says it's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, and his brothers. Judah and company. And so Judah is the one through whom the lineage of the Messiah continues. Joseph is the most, uh, is the, is the most prominent character here, uh, but Judah's story really warrants some, some attention and close, a close look. So we're going to talk about Joseph. I have four just broad points about the story of Joseph. Uh, but then I want to talk about Judah a little bit. So this, the Joseph narrative in Genesis is the longest single story in Genesis. And it's the most, it's the most dense uh, story. It's the most detailed and, and, and intentionally constructed story in Genesis. Um, it's a third of the book. Okay? And it covers not that much time. You know, when we get on into Moses' story, there's 40 years pass and then another 40 years. Joseph, time moves a lot slower. I mean, it really follows pretty much all the significant incidences of his life. Even in Abraham's story, there's big gaps of time in between episodes. Joseph's story really just goes all the way through, and it slows down. Um, so, and, and the other thing about the Joseph story is that it's probably the most parallels so far between a, an Old Testament character and Jesus. All right. I, if you just look up, so this one has, I just got this online, some, some random I just Googled. And it, this is 60 parallels between Joseph and Jesus. I saw one that was like 75. I saw another one that was like over 100. So it's like you can get really you can get really granular with the parallels. But the, the point is, there are so many parallels between Joseph and Jesus. 
And it's an awesome study to do. And it's, awesome, it's an awesome thing to have in mind as you read through Joseph's story. So we're, we're going to continue to read it this coming week. And so as you do, I want you to look for as many parallels as you can find. I'm just going to point out a few to get us to kind of prime the pump. Um, Joseph was a shepherd. Right? Joseph um, was loved by his father. He's beloved of his father. He makes a point to, to say that. Uh, Joseph was hated by his brothers. Um, Joseph was hated for speaking words, speaking prophetic truth. Okay? Jesus was also. Right? They became enraged sometimes when he opened his mouth and declared who he was, declared the purposes of God. Um, Joseph was envied, envied by his brothers. Um, Joseph is able to provide food for his people. Um, Joseph, it's, it's interesting the way that the story is told. He's stripped of his, his robe, right? They strip his robe off of him, and that's one of the things in the crucifixion narratives that it, it really points out. It's always talking about Jesus, and they stripped him of his robe, and they divided his garments among them, right? Some obvious parallels there. He was cast into a pit, right? Jesus was, was, put in, uh, was thrown into the grave. He was taken out of the pit. And Chad talked about this last week. About it's, it's a symbolic of a death and a resurrection. Right? There, are, there are moments in Joseph's life, it's a continual cycle of death and resurrection. Down into the pit, up, and into Potiphar's house. Down into jail, and then up into Pharaoh's house. Right? Um, it's, his life is, is, is resurrection-shaped. Uh, Joseph is sold for the price of a slave. Jesus was sold for the price of a slave. 30 pieces of silver. This, this is interesting. Joseph was sold by... Who, who suggested selling him instead of killing him? Do you know which, which particular brother? <laughs> Judah. Which is the same name as Judas in the New Testament. It's the same, it's the same name. Um, it's Judah, it's Judas, the one, he says, let's sell him, right? Let's, let, he's, the, he's the opportunist, right? Let, let's, let's get something out. Let's just not kill him. Let's, let's come out ahead. All right, and so you can go, you can go on through his life and see how uh, there's just such obvious parallels. You know, there, there, aren't, there isn't a glaring flaw in Joseph's life. Up till now, there's some pretty glaring flaws in Abraham's life. Uh, not so much Isaac. You know, he gets a free pass. But Jacob, for sure, right? Jacob was a conniver. He was a cheat, and he really had to wrestle with God. He had to, he had to get his hip touched, and, and he, he had to walk with a limp, right? He had to be crippled by God in order to understand that he really depends on God. He's not able to connive his way to the top. Joseph doesn't really have any of those glaring flaws. At, the, at, at worst, you could say that he was a little haughty with his brothers, but that's not explicit in the text, right? Maybe it's just bad timing. You know, don't don't share the vision. Just keep it to yourself. You know, don't 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 hold it over your brothers. But that's not that's not the kind of flaw. You know, where God has to come and really deal with him. So who, what we have in Joseph is the story of a righteous man who is unjustly treated, who experiences circumstances that are outside of his control, uh, and and really what his life points to is God's ability to redeem those circumstances. 
okay, to redeem things that he didn't have under his control, suffering, injustice, to redeem all that and flip it on its head and use it for good, all right? So um, four, four big points about the story of Joseph that I think we need to, to kind of pocket as we go along uh, through the Old Testament. Um, it's important to note that this is a, it's an important, just in the, in the big narrative, big story of the Old Testament, Joseph is, is very important because it's, it serves as a bridge between the story of the patriarchs and the story of the Exodus. And the way it serves as a bridge is Joseph is the one, Joseph is the reason the people of Israel ended up in Egypt, in Pharaoh, in, in, uh, in slavery. All right? It's because Joseph went down and, and be, got, uh, you know, rose to prominence in Egypt that we have the book of Exodus at all. Okay? But this is something that God ordained and foretold way back in Genesis 15, when he tells Abraham, you are going to serve a country that is not yours, but afterwards I'm going to bring you back up. All right, so this was part of the story. This is part of the big story that God is working. Um, God, it's a story about how God... Uh, is, is truly sovereign. You know, he, he really does see what's coming and he works in his people. So he had Joseph sent ahead, right, through a, a series of incredible circumstances. He has Joseph sent ahead so that he could become a provider for his people in Egypt. Um, even in, right, that's enemy territory. Somehow he worked it so that Joseph became an inside man and the people of God during a time of intense famine, receive provision. Um, so it, it's, it's sort of a, a micro-scale version of what, of what the book of Exodus is about, going down into Egypt and then coming back out of Egypt, and the people of God being preserved within a foreign land. All right, so that's the first thing. It's a bridge between the two major stories in the Pentateuch, which is where we're hanging out this year. The, the, the first five books, um, the patriarchs and the exodus. If you really have an understanding of the, of the patriarchs and the exodus, you really understand the, the story of the first five books, the books of Moses. Second thing is that the story of Joseph is a, a key indication of the way that God brings about redemption. All right, this is part of the mystery of the way God works. And this is seen in the way that Joseph, you know, didn't, didn't do anything wrong, but he found himself in some very, some very unjust situations. But it's those very acts of injustice that allow God, um, that allow the call of God on Joseph's life to be fulfilled, right? So when he's, by, the, by the time he's 17, he has this vision, my brother's going to bow down to me. God knows how that's going to happen. God knows the road ahead of Joseph. Joseph just sees this promise. Well, great. But here's what's going to happen. You're going to have to go into a pit. Then you're going to have to go into a prison. Right? But ultimately, yes, you will be raised up and your brothers will come and bow down to you. All right? So this is, the, this, is what God, this is what God does in our lives. You are kings and queens. You are to rule and reign. And this is what he does in, in Jesus' own life. Now, here's, here's, here's the path to, we just read it in Philippians 2, here's the path to sitting on the throne. You go down, and you, you die, and you become obedient, 
And that is the way that God brings about redemption. Okay? So in the story of Joseph, we see, yes, God is moving his purposes forward. He has called Abraham. He has called himself a people. And he is making that people, they are going to bless the whole earth. How is that going to happen? Well, they're going to die. <laughs> they're going to go into the ground, and then they're going to be raised to life. And that is what is going to unleash redemption and blessing into the world. Okay, we see this in Joseph's life. He goes down into the pit, the literal pit, comes up and becomes a blessing, not just to his people, but to the whole world. Right? This is the purpose of God. He beca- I mean, he's, I think even economists, who was telling me this, maybe JP, the economists have pointed to him and his, his, uh, his edicts as, as a major advancement in, in economic history. Right? The way that he got the land and, and kind of set up a feudal system. Uh, he, he did some amazing stuff on a global scale. He brought blessing to the world in, the time, in a time of famine. But it was only after he remained faithful to God and remained hopeful in the, in the face of uh, those moments of death and imprisonment and bondage and injustice. Uh, which brings to the third point. So the, the third point is the story of Joseph really brings to fruition, really fills out our understanding of the idea of blessing in the book of Genesis, right? And uh, if, if you went and LCF did a, a, a deep study on blessing all through the book, um, and I encourage some of you, if, I don't know if, if you went and did it, but uh, I encourage you to go listen to Billy's sermon on blessing because it really is one of the main themes of the book of Genesis. You see it all through the book from, from creation um, Noah, it's all about God's desire to bless. And what is blessing? It's, it's flourishing life. Okay? And so God calls Abraham, what does he say? I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing. This is the purpose of the people of God, to be blessed by God, to become a blessing to the earth. And it's a story of how What's required for blessing is not the right circumstances, but what's required for blessing is the presence of God himself. When, when one of the, the echoes through Joseph's story is, and the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. When he goes down in the pit, when he goes down into prison, the Lord's with him in prison, and he's a blessing to the prisoners. Right? Wherever he goes, he's a blessing. So it doesn't matter where he is. If the Lord is with him, he is blessed and he's being a blessing, right? We want to think of blessing as the right set of, of surroundings, right? But what, what blessing is, is the presence of God in you and the, the extending of that presence to the people around you. It doesn't matter where you are, who you're with, right? You are blessed to be a blessing. God was with Joseph. It also shows how... A, a call to glory and greatness, which is what Joseph had in his life, a call to be a ruler, people bow down to him, have authority, uh, is a fearful thing. <laughs> because God has a different idea about how people in power are to handle that power. Okay? God has a much different idea. He wanted to put Joseph in power because what he wanted was a, man, a selfless man in power. He wanted a man who'd been stripped of himself 
who'd understood what it meant to go low, what it meant to die. That's the kind of man you want in power. Someone who's going to take power and authority and come up with ways to bless the world. To come up with ways to be life to his brothers. To give food to people. Uh, And this is what God wants us to do with our authority. So he wants to bless us. He wants to give us authority, power, so that we can selflessly pour that out for the people around us. Uh, And then four, and this is really the big point that everyone um, thinks of when they think of Joseph's story. uh, It helps us to see how sovereign God is and how able he is to bring about good in spite of, even in spite of evil intentions. Okay? Um, And this is, so I want to go to Romans 8. This is another, again, this is what everyone thinks of when they think of Joseph. Uh, And this is is actually the scripture that a lot of people think of when they think of Romans. (laughs) 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Okay, that's, really, that's really the summary of Joseph's life. At the end of Genesis, chapter 50, he says this to his brothers, who, by the way, when, when uh, Jacob dies, they're still scared of Joseph. Uh, did, you, did you read that part? I love that. that Jacob dies, and they're still like, I think now he's going to really get back at us. And he's like, no, I'm not going to get back at you. I'm really not. Um, Joseph said to them, uh, uh, verse 20, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And this is really the ultimate you know, Easter sermon, that what Satan meant for evil, the death of the Son of God, God meant it for good. And anything that God means for good, you can't out-mean God. <laughs> no matter how, how evil you try and, and go, God can out-good you. Right? I think it says in James, do not be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. This is the way God works. There is no evil that can be done that God can't flip around and use it for good. And this is what Romans 8.28 is talking about. In the past, I have... Uh, Brought up that there's a there's a worship song that says he makes all things work together for my good. Have you heard that song? It's totally wrong. Uh, that's not what that's not what eight, Romans eight twenty eight is talking about. Uh, it's not that hey, no matter all the this can work out for my good. No, it what it means is hey, you're in a pit. Hey, you're in jail. God can make it good for the people around you. You want to, God can turn your circumstances. God can turn everyone else's evil intentions to something for good. It doesn't mean that God can make you avoid the pit. God can make you avoid jail. It means that, hey, people are going to be unjust to you. People are going to hurt you. People are going to throw you in the pit. And you're not supposed to be in the pit. You're supposed to be a ruler. They're supposed to be bowing down to you. But they're going to throw you in the pit. And you know what? You're going to end up being able to bless them in spite of that. Okay? God works it together. It doesn't mean that he, ha- he, that he prevents you from going through those things. Or even protects you from those things. God protects us from things, right? But he also lets us experience un- injustice. Why? So that he can turn it around for good. 
So the, the point of faith is, that, is not that God can make this turn out good for me. It's the point of faith is that God can somehow use this awful thing for good for his people. Right? And it doesn't mean that we avoid those awful things. It means that they can ultimately end up good. Um, all right, so God can cause good regardless of the course of history. Right? Regardless of mankind's knack for bringing about the ruin of civilization, God can still bring good. There will be suffering. There is a cost. Right? There is a cross to take up. But if we devote ourselves to become like Jesus, uh, to pour out our lives, regardless of what it looks like, God, we, we can have faith that God is using that for good. We don't have to, it doesn't have to end up good for us. We know that God will use it for good. All right? Does that make sense? Okay. Um, so, I love that, that aspect of the, the story of Joseph. It didn't work out really, I mean, it, it didn't go the way that Joseph would have planned it, right? He, I don't think he necessarily would have gone around singing, hey, he made all things work together for my good. He went around going, wow, <laughs> mankind is really evil. The human heart can do some awful things. But God's greater than that. And look what he's done. And it's, it's, it's different than that, you know, God wants me to be happy. God wants me to have things. Well, no, God wants to put you in the ground so that when he raises you up, everyone can have things. Right? Not just you. You might have to endure that thing. But he is working it together for good. Amen? So this, this individualistic reading, I think, is really toxic. We are the people of God. And it doesn't mean that we are protected from the evil around us. It means that we charge into the evil around us. And because the Lord is with us, he is able to bless and to drive out that evil. Amen? And it hurts. And it will cost us. But the Lord can redeem it. So, if Joseph's story is about God's ability, amazing ability, to change whatever circumstance evil mankind brings our way to, to redeem circumstances. Judah's story is not so much a story about that as it is God's ability to redeem people. Right? Joseph, all sorts of evil circumstances caused by evil people. And Judah's story is a story of the redemption of an evil son. Right? One of the people of God who went completely off the reservation and was able to come back and actually become... Uh, a foreshadow of, of what Jesus is. So let's... I'll point this out. So the story of Judah and Tamar. Where does it happen? It happens pretty early in the story. They throw Joseph in the pit. And then Joseph ends up in uh, Potiphar's house. And then it says it happened at that time, in chapter 38, that Judah went down from his brother's and he turned aside to a certain Adulamite, whose name was Hira. And he has a family, he has some sons, uh, and he has a daughter-in-law named Tamar. So, but what we see in this whole story is, is Judah has, has completely gone away from his family. He's married a Gentile, 
um, and he is absolutely outside of his inheritance. Right? He has gone way far away. Not only that, but he has, uh, obviously he, he led a pretty immoral life at this point. He was unfaithful. He, was, uh, he promised his daughter-in-law one thing, and he never pulled through for her. Right? And then he ends up sleeping with her after she's disguised herself. Um, and there's a, this bizarre story. But what comes, what's the chapter after that? It's Joseph in the house of Potiphar's wife. And the temptation there. So we have a clear contrast between where Judah is starting out and where Joseph is starting out. What does Judah conclude in his story? She is more righteous than I am. <laughs> He's had a moment of... Of crisis. He sees his wickedness, right? Wow, I'm unfaithful. I am totally consumed with myself. I can't even give my daughter-in-law, my younger son that I promised her, and I'm even mad at her for sleeping around when I'm the one who's sleeping around, and it was with her. <laughs> and he says, Gee, man, she is more righteous than I am. Joseph, on the other hand, and, and, and this is interesting because he, he then leaves with her some of his, his staff and his cord and his signet ring. Well, Joseph has a similar experience, right? And he leaves some of his garments with the woman, but for a very different reason, right? <laughs> because she, she ripped them off of him uh, and he flees the house, okay? So where Judah just plunges headlong into depravity, into isolation and, and self-centeredness, Joseph has been maintaining integrity, in the midst of a foreign land, uh, even though it costs him, right, it gets him thrown into prison uh, due to false accusation. All right? So Judah is rightly accused, and he denies it. Joseph is wrongly accused, and he accepts his punishment. So you can see all the parallels between those two stories of, of really, of, of morality. Right? You see the state of Joseph's righteousness, and you see the state of Judah's righteousness, and they're totally opposite from each other. So that gives you kind of an indication of why that story happens where it does. Uh, it's two temptation scenes handled very, very differently. Right? So that sets up, that gives us a glimpse into Judah's character right, at that point in the story, where he's starting from. Well, first he wanted to, to turn the blood into money. Or he said, no, don't, don't spill his blood. Let's get some money out of this guy. And then he goes and has this affair with the... You know, he raises a, a Gentile family. He has wicked sons, and he's just out, totally outside of the people of God. So he ends up, she is more righteous than I am. And uh, what we see a few years later is Judah really has changed. Judah has come to repentance. Judah has really understood uh, Judah has really turned from his life, his life of wickedness. All right. Um, in the very middle, and this is really cool how the story of, of Joseph is structured. Genesis 37 through 50. Um, so the way Old Testament stories are written a lot of times is called in, in a chiastic structure, which is sort of like an envelope structure, um, which is like it builds to a middle point and then it kind of builds off of there. Um, you don't have to understand that very much to even see that the story of Judah interceding on behalf of Benjamin or like pledging himself to his father for Benjamin's life 
uh, it stands right in the middle of Joseph's story. It is, if you go look and uh, look at that structure, what the hinge point is of the story, kind of the, the, the central point of it, is Judah's interceding for his brother. And you can even see that, even if you just look at kind of the general middle of the place, well, chapter 43. And here's what Judah says. Uh, Verse 8. Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the boy with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. And you have to hear in this the heart of Jesus in obedience to the Father. Right? Father, we, I, let, let me bear the blame. I, want to, I will bring him back. I will bring back your favored son. I know how much you love him. And I want, I, I want to make sure that you get him back. Right? This is the heart of Jesus. Right? Man has gone astray. And Jesus and the Father, Jesus says, let me go and bring them back. And if I don't bring them back, then I will not have been faithful to my word. And this is the faithfulness of Jesus. So he has tapped into something that is deeply godly and, deeply cl- and, and, and very close to the heart of the Father. And just in that exchange, which is sort of the central point of the story, when I say central point, I don't mean like the big point, but it, like it, it linearly, it's the middle of the story. And then the story pans out from there. Um, and you see that, that Judah is faithful to his word a chapter later. Uh, verse 18. Judah went up to him and said, Oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a, a word in my Lord's ears and let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. Um, so he tells him of his pledge. And then verse 32, he says, For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain Instead of the boy, as a servant to my Lord, but let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. So he pledges, and he's faithful to his pledge. Right? And this is what, this is what leads to the moment of, uh, where Joseph sees that. And he says, this is change. This is, this is true repentance. Right? This is not the brother that I knew. This is not the Judah that I knew. Okay, and it's, it's at, in the face of this that it says that he cannot. Then Joseph could not control himself before those who stood by him. Right, it was this act of intercession on Judah's part that just undoes Joseph. Okay? And so the story is about Joseph, yes, God's ability to redeem circumstances. But the story is also about Judah, God's ability to redeem a man, God's ability to redeem an evil son who had brought shame upon the family and who is now changed and is bringing honor to his father, who desires to only do his father's will, who desires for his life to be forfeit for the sake of his brothers. Right? And this is, it, you know, we look, at this, we look at these stories and a lot of times we try and you know, find ourselves in the story. If you're going to find yourself anywhere in the story, find yourself in Judah here, right? <laughs> You're not Joseph. 
Let's be honest. Maybe some of you are. But we're Judah. Right? That's who we are. We made a mess of it. We didn't, we, didn't under, we didn't recognize the hand of God on our brother's life, and we threw him into a pit, and we wanted to get all we could out of him. Right? But God was faithful to us. And God has granted us repentance. And we have an opportunity to be faithful to our family. He has, give, he has given us a way back. And now we can live our lives with this attitude that, man, I know the heart of the Father. And, man, let my life be forfeit if I don't, if I don't bring my brother back. If I don't please my Father's heart. That is what, that's all I want. I don't care about you know, I've lived, I've, I know what's in my past. I've, I've, I've gone down, I've, I've raised a family, I've raised, raised wicked sons. I'm, <laughs> I'm good for nothing. Let me just do this. Let me just please my father. And uh, so I would say, if, if you find yourself anywhere, um, imagine yourself in Judah's story. And in God's ability, you see God's ability to bring him on a, on a journey and bring him to a total a change of character, uh, right? If there's, a, if there's one final contrast I'll make, it's that Joseph, um, the, 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 the story of Joseph's life is he doesn't change, right? He, 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 he sticks with God. His, his circumstances go crazy, right? And every manner of evil and injustice happens to him, but the Lord is with him and he doesn't change. And the, and the difference between that and Judah is, man, what a change, this guy started out in this one of the more bizarre and, and, and unsettling episodes in Old Testament narrative. And he goes all the way to basically giving us a glimpse into the conversations that happened between the father and the son surrounding the redemption of mankind. What a change. What an amazing change. And uh, what, what, what a faithful God who can redeem Joseph's circumstances and redeem Judah the wayward brother, to the most Christ-like one of the bunch. And guess what? It's Judah at the end of Genesis. He says, your brothers are going to praise you. Your brothers are going to bow down to you. This is what I'm about. So let's read that, uh, the blessing that's spoken over Judah's life. 49, verse 8. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Which was the promise given to Joseph. Isn't that crazy? Judah ends up really embodying uh, the promise to Joseph. Judah is a lion's cub from the prey, my son. You have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion. And as a lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the people's. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine, his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. So it's here where Judah becomes, and this begins sort of the, the, the line of the Messiah. And the seed really passes through uh, Judah's line. And it's interesting that in the story of Judah and Tamar, what's at stake is the seed, Right? So much of the focus is on the seed. And it ends up that, yes, Judah is the seed of the Messiah. Despite all of that messiness, really troubling stuff, God is able to redeem that man and from him to bring Messiah into the world. 
And if he can redeem Judah and bring Messiah into the world, he can redeem you and me to bring Christ into the earth. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this uh, amazing testament to your works, God, to your faithfulness. Thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you for bringing us to this point. God, as we continue to meditate on, um, on these scriptures, God, on these stories, I pray that you would bring us close to your heart, uh, that your purposes that you began in creation and have been faithful to all through, all through uh, the Old Testament on into the New Testament and into the time in which we live. Uh, Lord, help us to see ourselves uh, in your purposes, Lord. Help us to see what it means to be your people. Uh, And Lord, convince us that you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and of Judah and his brothers. And Lord, that that you are our God, and that these are our brothers in the faith. These are the ones that we look to, uh, to see your purposes, Lord, to see your promises. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would, um, if any in in here are struggling with... um, circumstances, God. Uh, Lord, I pray that that you would be the God of Joseph to them, Lord, that you would show uh, that you would show your ability to redeem any circumstance, to anything that is intended for evil, to use it for good, to turn it around, uh, to heap shame on the workers of evil by their work, by their very works, uh, to to make them uh, fall back on their heads, God. And, Lord, that you would um, show us how capable you are of transforming a man, a fallen man, a wicked man, uh, into someone who really does understand uh, the Father's heart, who really does understand uh, the way that you work and what pleases you. So, Lord, thank you that you're the God of Joseph, you're the God of Judah, and that you're our God. And uh, you're, the, you're the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And thank you, Jesus, that you have brought all of this to fulfillment. That you have shown us uh, what it's like to be unjustly treated uh, and, and to, to remain steadfast. And, uh, Lord, we just thank you that you are with us. Just as, if you, just as you were with Joseph, Lord, by the Holy Spirit, you are with us. And we can uh, rest assured that we are being made into a blessing that we can bring blessing, that we don't have to be overcome by evil, but we can overcome evil with good. We can overcome evil with blessing. And even in the evil place, God, even in the place where we're not supposed to be, uh, we can turn it into a place of blessing and a place of ministry. And we thank you for that, Lord. Lord, reveal the places in our lives that, uh, that we need to have a better vision for being a blessing. Lord, whether that's a, a tough situation in, at, at, at our jobs, Lord, whether it's a, a relationship that is hard for us, uh, Lord, whether it's a, a, uh, an opportunity for ministry or outreach, Lord, help us to go into those situations knowing that you're with us and knowing that you will make us be a blessing. And help us to stop relating so much um, to how those situations affect us, Lord, how those circumstances affect us and the way they make us feel. Help us to, to, to not interpret life through the way that it makes us feel or, or through our own lens. But, but Lord, help us to, to understand that you are the Redeemer and that you are bringing blessing through our lives. 
and that we have only to remain faithful and dependent upon you. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.